0: Well, I had my generic little baseball cap on, I had my oiled glove, and I had a bat with me, and I went to the the littlest league, the little league tryout, and I remember my dad being there. It was Southland Park, and there were what seemed like. It was probably hundreds, but it seemed like thousands of people there, and hundreds of kids trying out to make a team. And so there were a couple of things that w- I, I had to do as part of the drill, and I waited and waited, and finally it was my time to try out. And I got to tell you, I was I was nervous. I, I was anxious. Maybe you felt that before when you're on the stage, if you would, and and, and so. Uh, One of the things I did is I had to take a couple of swings and let's just say I didn't make good contact on the three pitches. And then it was time for me to go to another station and I had to field some balls with my glove and I could just, I could see they were marking me down. And then you go back into the stands with your parents. It was brutal. And they would call out the name everyone that made a team through the PA. And I waited for my name. And I waited for my name. And then the list ended and they said, all who have had names called out, you have made a team and you can go over here to this table and find when your practice begins. And I was sad. Teared up, my dad said, he was trying to comfort me. He said, you know, you're, you're one of the younger ones, and we can always come back next year. But I, I felt it. I felt rejected. And, and, you know, it makes me wonder what it feels like for those that have, have moved through that kind of pain. Maybe something different, a sting of, of, of being left behind, maybe because of the structures of the powers around us, or maybe it's our culture, or maybe our prejudice, whatever it is. There are those that have had that sting exponentially, something that I can't fully understand, but is real for them. Let's pray together. God as we share together in this time as we look at your word as we talk about the book of Acts we, th- we ask Lord that you would give us eyes to see as you see that we would perceive as you perceive and that we would love in the way that you love this world give us heighten our sensitivity those that feel marginalized, those that feel pushed aside, those that haven't been picked, those that feel as though they're not on the team. Use your Holy Spirit. Use each of us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're in the midst of a series, Acts in the Crossroads, and I think it's important for us to recognize how important that title is because we're still in the crossroads here at Bass and Forsyth we're still offering hope at the crossroads and so as we look at the book of Acts there are some critical junctures and one of those critical junctures uh, comes uh, with Pentecost you will remember that Jesus uh, died in 30 AD He was hung on a cross he resurrected three days later and 50 days later pentecost took place and the holy spirit fell on the 120 that were gathered there and as that 120 i'm gonna get comfortable is that all right with y'all on this memorial day weekend and so i'm gonna take this off is that all right because i'm hot all right and so that sorry musicians Um, that hundred and twenty gathered together and the anointing of the Holy Spirit fell and the church was born It was the birthday of the church Pentecost and then later in Acts we hear that Peter gives his first sermon and there were three thousand that were converted and that had gathered together as the church and it says that many were being added to their numbers daily even in the face of persecution, martyrs on display, the church grew. And so, what we find is Luke helps us, and when people are evangelized, when they are converted, Luke does it in different ways. He'll do it in a general way. He'll say, There were 3,000 that were gathered that day and were converted, or there were 5,000 later that were converted and so he'll speak in general terms and then he'll get into specifics and he'll say there was a woman named Lydia who was converted just a short phrase Paul's conversion had 40 verses Cornelius had 66 now why 66 well I want you to see why through a vision that Cornelius had. He was a centurion in Caesarea, and he was over a battalion. He was a commander-in-chief in many ways, and the Bible says that he was a righteous man. He gave to the poor, and he offered his prayers to God, but he didn't really know who he was praying to. And so he was a good man. And one day, he records how an angel came and visited him and said, Cornelius, your alms to the poor and your righteousness has been noticed by God. You were loved. Go and get Peter, Simon and get him to tell you what is going on. And so Cornelius, bear with me on these visions. You have Cornelius who has this vision that God wants to bless him. But he is not a converted Christian. He is a Gentile, a non-Jew. And then Peter is retrieved by three that are part of the troops and they say Cornelius wants you to visit with him and so Peter has a vision just as he's getting ready to leave to visit with Cornelius and so it's providential and it's simultaneous and at that time uh, Peter drifts off into a dream and he sees a a sheet if you would likened to a sail horizontally and on it as he is hungry the scripture says he sees all of these things that have been considered unclean, as documented in the Old Testament, according to the law. He sees certain kinds of four-footed animals and reptiles. And God says to him, eat, Peter, for you are hungry. And Peter says, I will never eat anything unclean. God says, there is before you nothing unclean. Go now. At that moment, Peter understood in a very broad sense the greater love of God because the the veil had been torn in two when Christ died. Doors were now being opened people of all nations, races, tribes. Do you see the crossroads? And so he goes back and he meets Cornelius. And Cornelius says, I'm a Gentile, and for you to interact with me as you are a Jew and I am a Gentile, I am considered unclean. And Peter says, you are not unclean. It is a new day. Cornelius gives his life to Christ. The crossroads of Acts is where God opens up salvation. Remember Father Abraham, the song Abraham had a covenant that he would have many sons and generations And that original covenant where God said, your offspring will number the grains of sand along the shore. Try to count the stars. That'll be the number that will be a part of your family. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. But what has happened is in the book of Acts, that prophecy is unfolding now in such a way that there is no longer a barrier for God's love. And we should not allow any barrier to stand the way of God's love. No longer is language a barrier, or culture, or race, or geography, or economic level. Nothing stands in the way now. But even as followers of Jesus, there is embedded within us, part of our sin nature, a desire to exclude others. There is even after the Holy Spirit comes, there is still a greater work that needs to be done in us in terms of embracing others. Oh, that we would have this dawning revelation, this vision of reaching out to people that aren't like us, that we might not consider them unclean. If you would, take a look at the scripture, Acts chapter 10, it's in your bulletin. And uh, look with me as, as Peter comes to terms with this. Acts ten 34, we're going to read through 38. Then Peter, I'm reading from the New Revised Standard. Then Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right, is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is the Lord. The message spread through Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. And so this this explosion in Acts one It's a prophecy. Jesus says that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where it all began with the 120 and the 3,000 and the 5,000. And he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Samaria. What do we know about Samaria? They were considered half-breeds, racially. I mean, think about the Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered. She had so much going against her. Uh, She was considered in that day and time, of lower class because she was a woman in that setting. She was a Samaritan. She was not a full Jew. And she had a track record that was not good. It was for that person that Christ died. And it's like that person among us that Christ died. And so salvation has been offered to all who will respond. And one of the things that we need to remember is that we're blessed, but we cannot be exclusive. We have we are beneficiaries of the cross, but that should not in any way make us prideful when it comes to relating to other people. Sometimes uh, we struggle and we see it in our culture, that exclusivity where, well, just take a flight, for example. How many have been on a flight lately? Uh, on a missions trip, I took a flight to Haiti, and, and as I was boarding, I could see the contrast. Those of us in coach, are you with me? Have to pass through first class. What are they doing in the first class? They're drinking their beverages that are being served to them. They're reclining in these nice, comfortable chairs. And then you go back and you flag down the flight attendant. You get your water, and you are seated in a seat that's made for somebody that's four or eight. And and then they do something that is very telling. They take this curtain and they close it. As if to say, you, yes, you all, stay over here while these stay over here. It's important for us to not be that way in the church. While Christ has done a good work in us, he desires to do a great work in others. One of the things that we have to do is to enter that world. I like what one old preacher said. We try to clean the fish before we catch them. The idea is let's draw them in, no matter who they are. All means all. All are welcome to receive the grace of God. Now, there is a message in the Scripture that is clear that while we want radical hospitality and while we want to invite others in and while we need to do a better job of that there is a transforming message that's part of that and it can be a dangerous message in that change will come to us and should come to us I like what one missionary said he said salvation is where I get all of God and sanctification is where God gets all of me. You know, we really want people as they enter this place to get all of God. And then we want God to do his work and helping them to surrender in his timing. There is something about being chosen, isn't there? There's something about being selected. There, There's something about belonging And there are people that you and I encounter every day that long to belong. They want to belong. Will we help them with that? Will we help them transition to see that they're part of a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a special flock? Jacob, my oldest son, was with us when we went to England. We were able to do an exchange program. It was awesome while we were there. Um, I was able to preach in the British church. We lived in a parsonage there. It was really called a manse. Um, And some of you have heard my stories where I drove in the streets of London and England. It was scary for those that were encountering me. But one of the things that uh, took place is Jacob was 17, 18 years old at the time and he had gone to London. We were about three hours away by train and he said, hey, I'm going to go to London. I've got everything I need. I'll be back later in the day. Well, a couple of things. He wasn't right about having everything he needed. He didn't take enough resources with him. He was right about getting back later in the day. It was late into the night. And we didn't have way to communicate with him. And we waited. And we prayed. And as Delia said, it's as though God has this special, you know how the people of Israel were led by a cloud? There's a special cloud over Jacob that just kind of protects him we believe that was part and is part of God's plan for his life and so he boarded on a train but he only had first class and he needed to or coach and he only had enough money to get a few buses to get into connection with with this route and and all he had eaten was a little bread and milk earlier in the day so once he got on that final train, he had nothing. And he had a long way to go. He was starving. And one of the attendants on the train pushed back the curtain and said, we don't have really anybody in first class. We're going to upgrade your seating. And so here's this Raggly teenager with a stretched collar t-shirt, cargo pants, and flip-flops with an American accent. And he walks forward and he sits down. And they say, as part of the upgrade, we have a menu for you and there's no charge. He goes, Really? And he loaded up. moment for him. He was able to eat. (laughs) And in the book of Acts, we find this crossroads moment. Why were there 66 verses? The largest volume of verses recorded for Cornelius It's because he was a Gentile. And he was the first Gentile converted that would be a follower of door is open and it may be that today you want to come and to receive to walk through that door and to celebrate that Christ has died on the cross for you and has risen you know on this Memorial Day weekend I think about the numbers of folks that have paid a great price on my way home to my dad to visit him my mother was afforded because she was married to a veteran to be buried in a military cemetery. And you've seen them. They're well manicured, row after row after row of headstones. And each headstone has a story. A story to tell about sacrifice, about giving. And on this Memorial Day weekend, the wonderful thing is that Christ has given his all that all might be saved. Let's pray together.